Appendix A. A Soaring Spirit According to his official biographer, Napoleon Hill was born on October 26, 1883, in a two-room log cabin in the mountains of Vice County in southwest Virginia, the son of James Monroe and Sarah Sylvania Blair Hill. He died at age 87 on November 8, 1970, at his retirement home on Paris Mountain near Greenville, South Carolina, where he spent the last 13 years of his life. He was in relatively good health up until his sudden death and had recently undergone a successful cataract operation the better to allow him to continue his lifelong habit of reading, research, and reflection on the principles of success. His death came the day before that of Charles de Gaulle of France, a towering world figure whom Hill would no doubt have relished interviewing about his life, philosophy, and particular path to success. Dr. Hill was survived by his wife, Annie Lou N. Hill, a native South Carolinian, three sons, James H. Hill and Blair H. Hill of Lumberport, West Virginia, and David H. Hill of Clarksburg, West Virginia, two brothers, Vivian O. Hill of Washington and Dr. Paul Hill of Harrisburg, Virginia, and one sister, Mrs. Willie Wise of Wise, Virginia. The November 12, 1970, edition of the Greenville S. C. News published the following editorial after his death. Napoleon Hill chose to settle down in Greenville about 18, sick, should be, 13, years ago after an active life in which he came no many of America's most famous people. He himself became famous for the books he published after moving here. His works on the power of thought achieved bestseller status and were published after the author had attained an age at which most people were in complete retirement. Mr. Hill acquired a vast amount of information and wisdom which he was able to reduce to easily grasped form in the books he wrote. He had the refreshing ability to keep growing and to remain outgoing as the years rolled by. He was one of the best exponents of the power of positive thinking, an attribute the world needs in an age when negative thought appears to be gaining popularity. Greenville and the nation lost a valuable citizen when Napoleon Hill died recently at age 87. Napoleon and Annie Lou Hill today lie buried side by side in Frederick Memorial Gardens, located on the Cherokee Foothills Scenic Highway just off Interstate 85 and about one and a half miles from the city limits of Gaffney, South Carolina. If you ever pass that way, and if Napoleon Hill has meant something to you, a trip to Memorial Gardens will be a memorable experience. The gravesites of Napoleon and his beloved Annie Lou who died December 21, 1984, at the age of 90 lie in Section B1, Lot 16, under the shade of a stately Florida maple. A 4-foot by 16-inch bronze marker, embellished with etched dogwood flowers, rests above their individual markers. The main marker reads simply, Napoleon Hill, author. The exposed roots of the old maple have gradually fingered their way over the ground's surface and, seemingly, almost down into Hill's very grave a living metaphor for how his life's work has provided and continues to provide sustenance, inspiration, and energy to the lives of so many people all these years. A second aspect of the landscape in Frederick Memorial Gardens provides, equally fortuitously, another metaphoric statement about what Napoleon Hill's life and work have meant to the world. Across the curving cemetery road from Hill's grave rests a monument designed by John Irvin Ramsey, an architect from Salisbury, North Carolina. It is a Christian monument, full of symbolism about the ultimate futility of human striving. A trillion or triangular stele, a tall triangular shaft tapering to a point, representing the Holy Trinity, water at the base representing the water of life, and so on. There is also a soaring concrete arch fronting the trillion, like the parabolic trajectory of a steep Roman candle shot, frozen in time. A small-scale street, Louis Gateway Arch, it symbolizes birth and death, and mankind's need for relationship with God, but the dramatic upward, soaring, of this parabola and the inscription relating to its skyward thrust in some unexpected way call to mind the think-and-grow-rich philosophy of Napoleon Hill and his belief in the power of individuals to shape their own destiny.
In part, the inscription reads, From the earth, man through his own efforts soars upward in search of eternal life. Appendix B. Tributes to the author from great American leaders. Here is what some American leaders in finance, education, government, and politics had to say about Napoleon Hill's research and writings on the principles of success. Supreme Court of the United States Washington, D. C. Dot, dot, dot. I wish express done in the organization. My appreciation of the splendid work you have put is philosophy. It would be helpful if every politician in the country would assimilate and apply the principles upon which your lessons are based. It contains some very fine material which every leader in every walk of life should understand. I am happy to have had the privilege of rendering you some slight measure of help in the organization of the splendid course of common sense philosophy. Sincerely yours, Signature. William H. Taft. Former President and former Chief Justice of the United States, allow me to express my appreciation of the compliment you have paid me in sending the original manuscript. I can see you have spent a great deal of time and thought in its preparation. Your philosophy is sound, and you are to be congratulated for sticking to your work over so long period of years. Your students will be amply rewarded for their labor. Thomas A. Edison, inventor and entrepreneur. Your work and mine are peculiarly akin. I am helping the laws of nature to create more perfect specimens of vegetation while you are using those same laws to build more perfect specimens of thinkers. Luther Burbank, father of scientific plant breeding. Certainly I will supply you with the information you request. This I consider to be not only a duty, but it is a pleasure as well. You are laboring in behalf of the people who have neither the time nor the inclination to ferret out the causes of failure and success. Theodore Roosevelt, President If I had a young son I would insist that he read every word, by Napoleon Hill, one of the two most inspirational writers in the world. I know your fundamentals of success are sound because I have been applying them in my business for more than 30 years. John Wanamaker, department store founder, our entire business policy in the management of our hotels is based upon your success fundamentals of which I am a student. E. M. Statler, hotel magnate. I feel greatly indebted for the privilege of reading your law of success philosophy. If I had had this 50 years ago, I suppose I could have accomplished all that I have done in less than half the time. I sincerely hope the world will discover and reward you. Robert Dollar, Steamship Magnate Napoleon Hill has produced what I believe to be the first practical philosophy of achievement. Its major distinguishing feature is the simplicity in which it has been presented. David Starr Jordan, President of Stanford University Mr. Curtis, Dot has built one of the greatest publishing businesses in the world by applying the principles of this philosophy. Edward Bock, Editor of Ladies Home Journal, Speaking About Cyrus H. K. Curtis, founder of Curtis Publishing Company, publisher of Ladies Home Journal and the Saturday Evening Post. You may say for Mr. Rockefeller that he endorses Mr. Hill's principles of success and that he recommends them to those who are seeking the highway to achievement. Secretary to J.O.H.N.D. Rockefeller, founder of Standard Oil Company. By applying many of the fundamentals of the law of success philosophy, we have built a great chain of successful stores. I presume would be no exaggeration of fact if I said that the Woolworth building might properly be called a monument to the soundness of these principles. F. W. Woolworth, founder of Woolworth, 5 and 10 cent, department store chain. Mastery of the law of success philosophy is the equivalent of an insurance policy against failure. Samuel G. O. M. P. E. R. S., American labor leader. May I not congratulate you on your persistence. Any man who devotes that much time, must of necessity make discoveries of great value. Napoleon Hill has produced what I believe to be the first practical philosophy of achievement. 
Its major distinguishing feature is the simplicity in which it has been presented. David Starr Jordan, President of Stanford University. Mr. Curtis Dot has built one of the greatest publishing businesses in the world by applying the principles of this philosophy. Edward Bock, Editor of Ladies Home Journal, speaking about Cyrus H. K. Curtis, founder of Curtis Publishing Company, publisher of Ladies Home Journal and the Saturday Evening Post. You may say for Mr. Rockefeller that he endorses Mr. Hill's principles of success and that he recommends them to those who are seeking the highway to achievement. Secretary to J.O.H.N.D. Rockefeller, founder of Standard Oil Company, by applying many of the fundamentals of the law of success philosophy, we have built a great chain of successful stores. I presume would be no exaggeration of fact if I said that the Woolworth building might properly be called a monument to the soundness of these principles. F. W. Woolworth, founder of Woolworth, 5 AND 10 cent, department store chain. Mastery of the law of success philosophy is the equivalent of an insurance policy against failure. Samuel G. O. M. P. E. R. S., American labor leader. May I not congratulate you on your persistence. Any man who devotes that much time, must of necessity make discoveries of great value. To others, I am deeply impressed by your interpretation of the mastermind, principles which you have so clearly described. Woodrow Wilson, President of the United States. I know that you are doing a world of good. I would not care to set a monetary value on this training because it brings to the student qualities which cannot be measured by money alone. George Eastman, founder of Eastman Kodak Company. Whatever success I may have obtained I owe, entirely, to the application of your, fundamental principles of the law of success. I believe I have the honor of being your first student. William Wrigley, Jr., founder of the William Wrigley, Jr. Company, world's largest manufacturer of chewing gum products. Evidence that money could not buy. The foregoing is evidence and praise seldom accorded any course of education. Money could not buy such letters of endorsement from individuals who are, or have been, leaders of our times. Think and Grow Rich is a liberating, power-radiating book that will shape your destiny, enrich your future, and turn your hopes and dreams into solid success realities. Don't waste your own precious years blindly searching for the hidden road to the heights. Profit by the dearly bought experience of America's leaders. More than 500 great and prominent Americans were minutely analyzed their methods, motives, strategy to find out the secrets that put them on top. No matter whether you are rich or poor, you have one asset as great as the richest person on earth and that is time. But with each setting sun, you become one day older and have one day less in which to attain the success and wealth you desire. Thousands of progressive people throughout the North American continent have realized this mighty truth and have sought the help so clearly and inspiringly taught by Napoleon Hill. You cannot afford to let day after day slip into eternity without getting possession of the principles of success. You will profit greatly from the lessons in Think and Grow Rich. The cost is trifling. The benefits are tremendous. Asterisk adapted from the 1937 edition of Think and Grow Rich. Appendix C Original Publishers Preface Asterisk This book conveys the experience of more than 500 individuals of great wealth, who began at scratch, with nothing to give in return for riches except thoughts, ideas and organized plans. Here you have the entire philosophy of money-making, just as it was organized from the actual achievements of the most successful individuals known to the American people during the early part of the 20th century. It describes what to do, 
Also, how to do it. It presents complete instructions on how to sell your personal services. It provides you with a perfect system of self-analysis that will readily disclose what has been standing between you and the big money in the past. It describes the famous Andrew Carnegie formula of personal achievement by which he accumulated hundreds of millions of dollars for himself and made no fewer than a score of millionaires of people to whom he taught his secret. Perhaps you do not need all that is to be found in the book. No one of the 500 individuals from whose experiences it was written did but you may need one idea, plan or suggestion to start your toward your goal. Somewhere in the book you will find this needed stimulus. The book was inspired by Andrew Carnegie after he had made his millions and retired. It was written by the man to whom Carnegie disclosed the astounding secret of his riches the same man to whom the 500 wealthy individuals revealed the source of their riches. In this volume will be found the 13 steps to riches essential to every person who accumulates sufficient money to guarantee financial independence. It is estimated that the research covering more than 25 years of continuous effort which went into the preparation of this book could not be duplicated at a cost of less than $1 million. Moreover, the knowledge contained in the book never can be duplicated, at any cost, for the reason that more than half of the 500 persons who supplied the information it brings have passed on. Riches cannot always be measured in money. Money and material things are essential for freedom of body and mind, but there are some who will feel that the greatest of all riches can be evaluated only in terms of lasting friendships, harmonious family relationships, sympathy and understanding between business associates, and introspective harmony which brings one peace of mind measurable only in spiritual values. All who read, understand and apply this philosophy will be better prepared to attract and enjoy these higher estates which always have been and always will be denied to all except those who are ready for them. Be prepared, therefore, when you expose yourself to the influence of this philosophy, to experience a changed life which may help you not only to negotiate your way through life with harmony and understanding, but also to prepare you for the accumulation of material riches in abundance. The Publisher Asterisk adapted from the 1937 edition of Think and Grow Rich. Appendix D this standing army is at your service asterisk. It will bring you fame, fortune, peace of mind or whatever you demand of life. In this picture you see the most powerful army on earth. Observe the emphasis on the word powerful. This army is standing at attention, ready to do the bidding of any person who will command it. It is your army if you will take charge of it. These soldiers are named definite chief aim, habit of saving, self-confidence, imagination, initiative, leadership enthusiasm, self-control, doing more than paid for, pleasing personality, accurate thought, concentration, cooperation, failure, tolerance, the golden rule, the mastermind, along, searching study of the lives of 500 great American men and women as well as actual endorsement from nationally known leaders proves that these are the basic principles upon which all true and lasting success is built. Power comes from organized effort. You see in this picture in these, soldiers, the forces which enter into all organized effort. Master these 16 forces or personal qualities and you may have whatever you want in life. Napoleon Hill has written a success course for you. Think and grow rich, presents, for the first time in the history of the world, the true philosophy upon which all lasting success is built. Ideas, when translated into intelligent plans of action, are the beginning of all successful achievement. So think and grow rich. Proceeds to show you how to create practical ideas for every human need. It does so in easy to understand steps. Napoleon Hill spent the better part of 25 years in perfecting this philosophy of success. During the long years he worked on it, some parts or the whole of it were reviewed and praised by many of the greatest Americans of our times. Among them are included four presidents of the United States, Theodore Roosevelt, Woodrow Wilson, Warren G. Harding, and William H. Taft, also. 
Thomas Edison, Luther Burbank, William J. Wrigley, Alexander Graham Bell, Judge E. H. Gary, Cyrus H. K. Curtis, Edward Bock, E. M. Statledozens of other glowing names in politics, finance, education, and invention. Andrew Carnegie started it more than 25 years ago. Napoleon Hill, then a young special investigator for a nationally known business magazine, was sent to interview Andrew Carnegie. During that interview Carnegie slyly dropped a hint of a certain master power he used a magic lore of the human mind, a little known psychological principle which was amazing in its power. Carnegie suggested to Hill that upon that principle he could build the philosophy of all personal success whether it be measured terms of money, power, position, prestige, influence, or accumulation of wealth. That part the interview never went into Hill's magazine. But it did launch the young author upon more than 20 years of research. And today we open to you the discovery and methods of using the revolutionary force which Carnegie quietly hinted at, in the trail of the lessons of success found in Think and Grow Rich. Come accomplishments, not mere entertainment and time-killing diversion. There come larger businesses, bigger bank accounts, fatter pay envelopes, small, struggling enterprises given new life and power to grow, and low-pay employees shown how to gain advancement by leaps and bounds. Asterisk adapted from the 1937 version of Think and Grow Rich. Appendix A. What do you want most? Asterisk. Is it money, fame, power, contentment, personality, peace of mind, happiness? The 13 steps to riches described in this book offer the shortest dependable philosophy of individual achievement ever presented for the benefit of the man or woman who is searching for a definite goal in life. Before beginning the book you will profit greatly if you recognize the fact that the book was not written to entertain. You cannot digest the contents tease properly in a week or a month. After reading the book thoroughly, Dr. Miller Reese Hutchison, nationally known consulting engineer and longtime associate of Thomas A. Edison, said, This is not a novel. It is a textbook on individual achievement that came directly from the experiences of hundreds of America's most successful individuals. It should be studied, digested, and meditated upon. No more than one chapter should be read in a single night. Readers should underline the sentences which impress them most. Later, they should go back to these marked lines and read them again. A real student will not merely read this book, but will absorb its contents and make them his or her own. This book should be adopted by all high schools and no boy or girl should be permitted to graduate without having satisfactorily passed an examination on it. This philosophy will not take the place of the subjects taught in schools, but it will enable one to organize and apply the knowledge acquired, and convert it into useful service and adequate compensation without waste of time. Doctor. John R. Turner, Dean of the College of the City of New York, after having read the book, wrote to Napoleon Hill, the very best example of the soundness of this philosophy is your own son, Blair, whose dramatic story you have outlined in the chapter on desire. Dr. Turner had reference to the author's son, who, born without normal hearing capacity, not only avoided becoming a deaf-mute, but actually converted his disability into a priceless asset by applying the philosophy here described. After reading Blair's story, you will realize that you are about to come into possession of a philosophy which can be transmuted into material wealth, or serve as readily to bring your peace of mind, understanding, spiritual harmony, and in some instances, as in the case of the author's son, it can help you master physical affliction. The most profitable way to use this book, the author discovered, through personally analyzing hundreds of successful men and women, that all of them followed the habit of exchanging ideas through conferences. When they had problems to be solved, they sat down together and talked freely until they discovered, from their joint contribution of ideas, a plan that would serve their purpose. You who read this book will get the most out of it by putting into practice the mastermind principle described in the book. This you can do, as others are doing so successfully, by forming a study club, consisting of any desired number of people who are friendly and harmonious.
The club should have a meeting at regular periods, as often as once each week. The procedure should consist of reading one chapter of the book at each meeting, after which the contents of the chapter should be freely discussed by all members. All members should make notes, putting down all ideas of their own inspired by the discussion. Each member should carefully read and analyze each chapter several days prior to its open reading and joint discussion in the club. The reading at the club should be done by someone who reads well and understands how to put color and feeling into the lines, convert it into useful service and adequate compensation without waste of time. Dr. John R. Turner, Dean of the College of the City of New York, after having read the book, wrote to Napoleon Hill, the very best example of the soundness of this philosophy is your own son, Blair, whose dramatic story you have outlined in the chapter on desire. Doctor, by following this plan, readers will get from its pages not only the sum total of the best knowledge organized from the experiences of hundreds of successful people, but more important by far, they will tap new sources of knowledge in their own minds, as well as acquire knowledge of priceless value from every other person present. If you follow this plan persistently, you will be almost certain to uncover and appropriate the secret formula by which Andrew Carnegie acquired his huge fortune, as referred to in the author's introduction. Asterisk adapted from the original 1937 edition of Think and Grow Rich. Appendix F. Early Sources. Napoleon Hill did not write in a vacuum. The late 19th century and early 20th century witnessed the publication of a vast variety of motivational and success-oriented books, pamphlets, and magazines. Hill no doubt availed himself of many of them in his personal reading and research for Think and Grow Rich. The following excerpts from a small 332-page pocketbook published in 1896 by Louis Klopp's New York are instructive. Just as echoes of Napoleon Hill can be found in every success, book or other, how to achieve, resource produced since the 1950s, so can glimpses be found in pre-Think and Grow Rich. Books of rhetorical and other techniques Hill would use in his landmark work. In the excerpt below, note the use of inspirational quotations from well-known individuals. Note the emphatic, forceful language, very well, I will be a king. Note the emphasis on faith as a source of empowerment, the discussion about, dogged determination, persistence in the face of tough obstacles, and, invincible will. Here Napoleon Bonaparte is quoted as saying, impossible, is a word only to be found in the dictionary of fools. Hill in Think and Grow Rich reports that he once took a dictionary and immediately cut out the word, impossible. Ideas and techniques such as these certainly foreshadow Think and Grow Rich. His genius lay in how he artfully blended and integrated such narrative and rhetorical techniques with the very practical, applicable, how-to-do-it, principles of success that he developed during his more than 20 years of research. The excerpt that follows is from Chapter 15, Willpower, From How to Succeed, or Stepping Stones to Fame and Fortune by Dr. Orazan Swetmarden. Chapter 15 Willpower. In the moral world the re is nothing impossible if we can bring a thorough will to do it, W. Humboldt. It is firmness that makes the gods on our side, Voltaire. People do not lack strength they lack will, V-I-C-T-O-R Hugo. Perpetual pushing and assurance put a difficulty out of countenance and make a seeming difficulty give way, J-E-R-E-M-Y Collier. When a firm, decisive spirit is recognized, it is curious to see how the space clears around a man and leaves him room and freedom, J-O-H-N Foster. Do you know, asked Balzac's father, that in literature a man must be either a king or a beggar. Very well, replied his son, I will be a king. After 10 years of struggle with hardship and poverty, he won success as an author. Why do you repair that magistrate's bench with such great care? Asked a bystander of a carpenter who was taking unusual pains. Because I wish to make it easy against the time when I come to sit on it myself, replied the other. He did sit on that bench as a magistrate a few years later. I will be Marshal of France and a great general, exclaimed a young French officer as he paced his room with hands tightly clenched.
He became a successful general and a marshal of France. There is so much power in faith, says Edward Buller, Lighten, Asterisk, even when faith is applied but to things human and earthly, that let a man but be firmly persuaded that he is born to do someday, what at the moment seems impossible, and it is 50 to 1 but what he does it before he dies. There is about as much chance of idleness and incapacity winning real success, or a high position in life, as there would be in producing a paradise lost by shaking up promiscuously the separate words of Webster's dictionary, and letting them fall at random on the floor. Fortune smiles upon those who roll up their sleeves and put their shoulders to the wheel, upon men who are not afraid of dreary, dry, irksome drudgery, men of nerve and grit who do not turn aside for dirt and detail. Is there one who difficulties does hearten? Ask John Hunter. He will do little. Is there one who will conquer? That kind of man never fails. Circumstances, says Milton, have rarely favored famous men. They have fought their way to triumph through all sorts of opposing obstacles. The simple truth is that a will strong enough to keep a man continually striving for things not wholly beyond his powers will carry him in time very far toward his chosen goal. At 19, Wade Taylor walked to Philadelphia, 30 miles, to find a publisher for 15 of his poems. He wanted to see them printed in a book, but no publisher would undertake it. He returned to his home whistling, however, showing that his courage and resolution had not abated. In Europe he was often forced to live on 20 cents a day for weeks on account of his poverty. He returned to London with only 30 cents left. He tried to sell a poem of 1200 lines, which he had in his knapsack, but no publisher wanted it. Of that time he debuted, my situation was about as hopeless as it is possible to conceive. But his will defied circumstances and he rose above them. We are told of a young New York inventor who about 20 years ago spent every dollar he was worth in an experiment, which, if successful, would introduce his invention to public notice and ensure his fortune, and what he valued more, his usefulness. The next morning the daily papers heaped unsparing ridicule upon him. Hope for the future seemed vain. He looked around the shabby room where his wife, a delicate little woman, was preparing breakfast. He was without a penny. He seemed like a fool in his own eyes, all these years of hard work were wasted. He went into his chamber, sat down, and buried his face in his hands. At length, with a fiery heat flashing through his body, he stood erect. It shall succeed, he said, shutting his teeth. His wife was crying over the papers when he went back. They are very cruel, she said. They don't understand. It'll make them understand, he replied cheerfully. It was a fight for six years, he said afterward. Poverty, sickness and contempt followed me. I had nothing left but the dogged determination that it should succeed. It did succeed. The invention was a great and useful one. The inventor is now a prosperous and happy man. Napoleon was a terrible example of what the power of will can accomplish. He always threw his whole force of body and mind direct upon his work. Imbecile rulers and the nations they governed went down before him in succession. He was told that the Alps stood in the way of his armies. There shall be no Alps, he said, and the road crossed the Simplon asterisk was constructed, through a district formerly almost inaccessible. Impossible, said he, is a word only to be found in the dictionary of fools. He was a man who toiled terribly, sometimes employing and exhausting four secretaries at a time. He spared no one, not even himself. His influence inspired other men, and put a new life into them. I made my generals out of mud, he said. To think we are able as almost to be so to determine upon attainment, is frequently attainment itself. Thus, earnest resolution has often seemed to have about it almost a savour of omnipotence. The strength Suvaro's asterisk character lay in his power of willing, and, like most resolute persons, he preached it up as a system. What has chance ever done in the world? Has it built any cities? Has it invented any telephones, and telegraphs? 
Has it built any steamships, established any universities, any asylums, any hospitals? Was there any chance in Caesar's crossing the Rubicon? What had chance to do with Napoleon's career, with Wellington's, or Grant's? Every battle was won before it was begun. What had luck do with Thermopylae, Trafalgar, Gettysburg? Our successes we ascribe to ourselves, our failures to destiny. A vacillating man, no matter what his abilities, is invariably pushed to the wall in the race of life by a determined will. It is he who resolves to succeed, and who at every fresh rebuff begins resolutely again, that reaches the goal. The shores of fortune are covered with the stranded wrecks of men of brilliant ability, but who have wanted courage, faith and decision, and have therefore perished in sight of more resolute but less capable adventurers, who succeeded in making port. Hundreds of men go to their graves in obscurity, who have been obscure only because they lacked the pluck to make a first effort, and who, could they only have resolved to begin, would have astonished the world by their achievements and successes. The fact is, as Sidney Smith has well said, that in order to do anything in this world that is worth doing, we must not stand shivering on the bank, and thinking of the cold and the danger, but jump in and scramble through as well as we can. Is not this a grand privilege of man, immortal man, that though he may not be able to stir a finger, that though a moth may crush him, that merely by a righteous will, he is raised above the stars, that by it he originates a good in the universe, which the universe could not annihilate, a good which can defy extinction, though all created energies of intelligence or matter were combined against it. A man whose moral nature is ascendant is not the subject, but the superior of circumstances. His is free, nay, more, he is a king, and though the sovereignty may have been won by many desperate battles, once on the throne, and holding the scepter with a firm grasp, he has a royalty of which neither time nor accident can strip him. What can you do with a man who has an invincible purpose in him, who never knows when he is beaten, and who, when his legs are short off, will fight on the stumps? Difficulties and opposition do not daunt him. He thrives upon persecution, it only stimulates him to more determined endeavor. The world always listens to a man with a will in him. You might as well snub the sun as such men as Bismarck and Grant. Hope would storm the castle of despair. It gives courage when despondency would give up the battle of life. He is the best doctor who can implant hope and courage in the human soul. So he is the greatest man who can inspire us to the grandest achievements. Our remedies oft in ourselves do lie, which we ascribe to heaven. The fated sky gives us free scope, and only backward pulls our slow designs when we ourselves are dull. How much I could do if I only tried. Asterisk, 1803-1873, English dramatist, novelist, and politician. Asterisk, the Simplon Pass is 6,590 feet, 2,009 meters, high in the Lepontine Alps in southern Switzerland. Napoleon had his troops build the Simplon Road here between 1800 and 1806 as an entryway to Italy. The pass has been a major trade route between southern and northern Europe since the 13th century. Asterisk, the Russian Alexander V. Suvorov, 1729-1800, was one of the greatest military commanders of all time, ranking with Alexander the Great, Hannibal, and George Patton, J. Others have labeled him a butcher who was more interested in destroying than defeating his enemies. His battle record was 63 victories, no defeats, frequently against numerically superior enemies. Smith, 1771-1845, was an English clergyman, essayist, and lecturer considered by many as the wittiest man of his era. He was a founder of the Edinburgh Review. Appendix G. Works by Napoleon Hill. Chronologically, Hill's Golden Rule Magazine, 1919-1920, Napoleon Hill's Magazine, 1921-1923, The Law of Success, 1928-1979, The Magic Ladder to Success, 1930, Inspiration Magazine, 1931, Think and Grow Rich, 1937, 1960.
Mental Dynamite 1941-16 Volume Textbook How to Raise Your Own Salary, 1953 Science of Success, 1953 6 Volumes, Textbooks PMA Science of Success, 1956 Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude, 1960-1977 with W. Clement Stone, Your Right to Be Rich, 1961-1990 An Interactive Study Guide The Master Key to Riches, 1965 Grow Rich with Peace of Mind, 1967 Succeed and Grow Rich Through Persuasion, 1970 With E. Harold Kion. You Can Work Your Own Miracles, 1971 How Condition Yourself for Success Appendix H. It Couldn't Be Done One of Annie Lou Hill's Missiles Napoleon Hill's favorite poems was, It Couldn't Be Done, written by Edgar Guest in 1914, with its emphasis on positive mental attitude, can-do spirit, enthusiasm, perseverance, and refusal to let scoffers and doubters dissuade one from one's dreams and desire for achievement, this delightful verse captures in poetic form the essence of Napoleon Hill's think-and-grow-rich philosophy, I couldn't be done. Somebody said that it couldn't be done. But he with a chuckle replied, that, maybe it couldn't, but he would be one who wouldn't say so till he tried, so he buckled right in with the trace of a grin on his face. If he worried he hid it, he started to sing and he tackled the thing that couldn't be done, and he did it. Somebody scoffed, oh, you'll never do that, at least no one has ever done it. But he took off his coat and he took off his hat, and the first thing we knew he'd begun it. With a lift of his chin and a bit of a grin, without any doubting or quid it. He started to sing and he tackled the thing that couldn't be done, and he did it. There are thousands to tell you it cannot be done, there are thousands to prophesy failure, there are thousands to point out to you, one by one, the dangers that wait to assail you. But just buckle it in with a bit of a grin, just take off your coat and go to it, just start to sing as you tackle the thing, that, cannot be done, and you'll do it. Edgar Guest, 1881-1959, was an English immigrant who arrived in Detroit in 1891. He began supporting his family as a newspaper copy boy and went on to become a career newspaperman and radio personality who wrote more than 20 volumes of poetry. At his death, he was mourned as, the poet of the people, because he wrote popular sentimental poems about everyday family life and values. He composed some 11,000 poems during his career. The word, quidit, in verse 2, line 6, is actually, quiddity, and means, quibbling. A hill nephew came across, it couldn't be done, checked in pencil, in a book titled It Can Be Done, poems of motivation and inspiration more than 50 years after the book had been given to Annie Lou Hill, in 1923, by her sister Mary. A-P-P-E-N-D-I-X-I. -E the Mint Power Press. What the world needs is more winners. Thousands upon thousands of men and women, through the years and throughout the world, have credited their success in life largely, if not entirely, to the application of the practical lessons of achievement drive. Hill teaches in Think and Grow Rich. It has been an extraordinary philosophy that has been steadily spreading and slowly helping change the landscape of human potential and achievement, individual by individual, decade by decade. Thanks to the work of Napoleon Hill, the rungs on the ladder to high success and great riches in the fullest, most meaningful sense of those words are within reach of anyone who can read or hear, think, and be motivated to action. The Mint Power Press, along with its parent organization, Achieve It, Inc., is dedicated to making sure that such individuals' reach does not exceed their grasp. The mission is to perpetuate the think-and-grow-rich philosophy and disseminate practical information about the science of success and achievement. The goal is to make the principles and skills involved in this philosophy, and the book from which it is derived, available to every individual and community in America and eventually throughout the world. MinPower Press and Achieve It are supported by success-oriented, achievement-focused individuals. They have this in common, 
their lives, in one way or another, have been positively and dramatically influenced by Think and Grow Rich, and they would like to repay that debt by helping spread the word to others who have the potential to think and grow rich in all ways that matter. Napoleon Hill often wrote about the power of the master mind principle. In his words, whenever two or more minds are blended in a spirit of perfect harmony, for the pursuit of a definite purpose, there is born of that alliance a power which is greater than that of all the individual minds combined. Min Power Press and Achieve It invite you to take an active role in your family, your business, your community in developing your own ambitious, far-reaching mastermind alliance. You can join thousands of individuals whose lives have been touched by Think and Grow Rich, and who want not only to utilize personally drive Hill's teachings and research, but also to perpetuate it and help it spread. If you have any questions or would like to share with others what Thank and Grow Rich has meant to you, we would be delighted to hear from you. Our address is Min Power Press The Winning Combination Achieve It, Inc. 1208 North Main Street, Anderson, South Carolina, 29621 May great success be yours live your dream. Acknowledgements This new edition of Think and Grow Rich was made possible with the help and support of many individuals in many places. I want to thank my partner, Del Gurley, and his wife, and my sister, Barbara Conwell Gurley. Del, who epitomizes the Think and Grow Rich philosophy, has believed in this project as much as I have and supported it in ways too numerous to mention. I cherish the many, mastermind alliance, ours the Gurleys and I discussed the project, traded ideas, and dreamed the dream of making Think and Grow Rich more relevant and understandable for future generations of high achievers. I appreciate more than I can say the Vice Counsel and Sterling Service of Nigel Yeoworth, the finest literary agent and publishing advisor I have ever known, and his highly able partner, Patricia Spadaro. I am also grateful to Keith Pearson, Ryan Ratliff, and The Voice, of Aventine Press, which published the first edition of this book. Thanks are due also to Dr. Karen Street, John, former director of the Spiro Center for Entrepreneurial Leadership at Clemson University. Her intelligent counsel and sage advice, especially in the proposal stage of this project, were valuable and are greatly appreciated. An unusual venture such as this requires the services of a top-flight intellectual property attorney. I found one in Jim Bargarazzi of the Dorothy and Manning Law Firm, who helped us avoid the pitfalls and get through the minefields of copyright questions, contract negotiations, and trademark law. Thanks, Jim for helping us protect the tremendous investment we have made in this project. Tonya Fleming performed magnificently in helping type the manuscript, while Patsy Melsheimer did a wonderful job of proofreading it and keeping its editor from looking foolish. Beth Moore of Girly Management made sure the bills got paid on time, shared generously of her computer resources, and could always be counted on, with a wonderful smile, to bring sunshine into many gloomy days at the office. To Elaine Payne and Lynn Whitfield, founders of the Low Carb Connoisseur, Thanks for being a source of internet inspiration and ideas, for helpful suggestions about publishing options and for other invaluable services. Many friends and acquaintances supported me as I sought to complete this work. They were always interested in and always asked about how things were going and never ceased to offer encouragements along the way. Chief among these many faithful are the late Don Bolt and Marietta, brother and sister-in-law Nonpareil, David Brian Martin, Jim and Sally Richardson, the late Bobby Abrams and his wife, Alice Jean, John and Joyce Geer, and Sonny and Gervais Emanuel. Special thanks are due to Dr. Jerry and Sally Trupnell for so many kindnesses extended. Thanks also to Historian Drive. Don McHale, English Professor Bill Kuhn, children's book author Betsy Biaz, and Jim and Kate Palmer of Warbranch Press for their advice about publishers and the use of literary agents. 
Thanks also to Rives, Boo, Cheney for an early collaboration through which I was first introduced to Think and Grow Rich. I would be remiss not expressing gratitude to Bob Proctor, Paul Martinelli and all the life success consultants they have trained around the globe. Their support of this book and their work in initiating and spreading mastermind study groups throughout the world is a great service. While this project is not associated or affiliated with the Napoleon Hill Foundation, would also be remiss in not expressing thanks to three individuals long associated with it, its late chairman, W. Clement Stone, for not vetoing my service for three years as the first executive editor of Think and Grow Rich newsletter, and for contributing a monthly column to it, Michael J. Reed Jr., a tired executive director of the foundation, for insights about Napoleon Hill and his work, derived from dinner and many other conversations, and Dr. Charles Johnson, who is Hill's nephew and current chairman of the foundation, for sharing personal anecdotes and observations about his uncle and for letting me sit at the oaken desk, now in Conway, S. C., at which Hill wrote many of his books. In undertaking a research project like this, one quickly comes to understand the virtues and value of good research librarians. I owe thanks to many for their dedicated efforts to assist me in tracking down some obscure fact, bit of biographical detail, or piece of arcana. Special thanks to Lois Sill and Jan Comfort of the Robert Muldrow Cooper Library at Clemson University, to Pamela Gibson of the Eaton Florida History Room, Manatee County, Florida, Central Library, Sharon Sumter, Assistant Archivist, Archive Department, and Hector Escobar of the Theodore M. Hesburgh Library, University of Notre Dame, Rose Donovan and Debbie Bennett of the Caroline County, Maryland Public Library, Leslie Litoff of the Wilmette, Illinois Public Library, and Rick Stringer of the Square Business Library, Penn State University. These individuals went out of their way to assist me with general research on Napoleon Hill and Think and Grow Rich, and specialized research on the likes of Edwin C. Permaze, Stuart Austin Wire, Dan Halpin, and the elusive Mr. R. U. Darby not to mention numerous other individuals and matters too numerous to relate. Also appreciated are the kind assistance of Lois Carroll, Amy Duncan, and manager Felicia Hardy of the Rob branch of the Brunswick County Library in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I spent many fruitful hours engaged in early marketing tasks for the book, the genealogical research conducted so graciously by Rhonda Derby, unrelated to R. U. As it turned out, and a brief biographical sketch, included in the endnotes, which was written for me by Dandy. Halpin about his father, who had fascinating connection to the Hill family and was an exemplar of Think and Grow Rich. Success. Thanks, to Joseph Isaac Vela of Fullerton, California, for pointing out a citation error that has now been corrected and which gets us closer to the always elusive goal of a perfect manuscript. And aside, neither I, nor any of my research librarian friends, was able to find any biographical information about the enigmatic R. You, Tabi who is featured so prominently in two of Napoleon Hill's key anecdotes. I hope some reader of this book knows exactly who Darby was and what he did later in life and that he or she will get in touch with me so that I can include that information in a future edition. I feel a deep sense of gratitude to my late parents, John and Vivian Conwell, who had an enormous positive influence on my life, outlook, and personality. They nourished my curiosity, engendered in me a love of reading, and always believed in me. I also owe a great debt to the late David Martin and his late wife, Thelma, for sharing their love and values and for allowing me to wed their daughter more than four decades ago. There are four special people to whom I also wish to offer thanks, together, if written words can ever serve as recompense for generosity. Shared and knowledge imparted. To money 10th grade English teacher at Anderson Boys High School, D. Oliver Bowman, who first made me aware of what literature means. The doctor. Rob Roy McGregor of Anderson, my high school French, Latin, Russian, and life teacher, 
who took a special interest in me as a student and imparted to me an unquenchable thirst for learning and personal achievement. To Professor Charles Conwell, perhaps distantly related, who shared with me an abiding love of writing, travel, good wit and repartee, and good reading. And to Professor Tony Abbott, like Charlie a professor at Davidson College, who was the finest, most insightful teacher imaginable and was the only professor I ever had who received not just one, but two standing ovations after lectures I was fortunate enough to attend. Good teachers are treasures that must be always honored and remembered. Finally, I would like thank three persons whose love and support meant everything to me and who were my inspiration for undertaking my work on this book. My wife Betty for her patience throughout the ordeal of getting the book finished, my firstborn, Johanna, a stalwart supporter who has become the kind of success story that Napoleon Hill would have loved to write about, and my equally accomplished daughter and namesake, Annie Ross. You Shanna, and Little Dipper, you believed in this book completely, and your positive attitude and encouragement gave me a reason to get the job done. Ross Conwell January 2015